Hi everyone, welcome back. Pretty special episode, first of all, because I'm going to talk about planning. Most of us find that to be a very mysterious thing or misunderstood. What is it? How do we do it? And why? And also because I'll have this conversation with Francisco Fisher, our marketing director, and also happens to be my son. So hope you enjoy. Let's dive in. Hi, mom. Thanks for having me back on the show. So last week we talked about who to hire to sell senior living. Let's say I was interviewing. Uh, I've got a marketing background. I'm not too familiar with the senior living industry, but I got the job, which is great. Uh, and so now I'm being invited to a planning session as a sales counselor. What should I expect from a planning session? And uh, what does it really mean to do planning? Okay, so you... You sit down, it's your first day, it's your second day, whatever. It's your first week of the job. And we have a top 10, meaning that we'll have a few, we call it top 10, but there could be 10 or 15 people there, maybe seven, it depends. Um, but there's these people that are advancing, that you're working deeply, right? There's other things happening, like new inquiries are coming in and you are... Um, following up with some other people in your lead base, but these are the people you're focusing on. So when you sit down for your morning meeting to do case studies, you will most likely do one, two, maybe three case studies. Maybe one will be a little longer. It could take however long it takes, but you know, if, and you do several over the course of the sales process on the same person. So based on your understanding and the different actions and all the progress you're making, you continue to do the same process or the same planning session with the same person based on new information, new insights that you've gotten. So it could be as short as 15 minutes, maybe even 10 minutes for you to just sort of update it because you've done more of an in-depth case study before with that person. If it is the first time and you have some information about the person, it may take longer. You know, it's one of those funny things that is difficult to assign time. On average, let's call it 20 minutes, 30 minutes for it to produce real insights. Because um, here's the danger. When you do sit down to do a case study, and I'll give you some examples, we all want to sort of shortcut it, shortcut the planning process because we, because our brain is wired for that. We just want to get, you know, cut to the chase. When I used to do them at the beginning, I just wanted to say, well, yeah, 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 we know these things. Yeah, let's make some assumptions about this and let's call them. You know, I just wanted to jump to the action, to the, to the tactic. But um, the longer you hold off and the more that you're able to discipline yourself to let go of your assumptions, the longer it may take for you to come up with a strategy that really considered for this person, not what you know, but what you don't know. Because really the planning process is one in which you devise different theories or hypotheses about what might be keeping this person from buying. Okay, so let's say that yesterday, Francisco, you met with Mrs. Jones and her daughter. They came for a tour. And 
you sat down with them for a little bit and you learned a little bit about, oh, maybe what she did, what Mrs. Jones did for a living. And the daughter is telling you that they're just looking and they're, um, you know, considering independent living or assisted living regardless. Okay, you are giving the tour and they're, they seem interested. So what do you want to, so this is the first time Mrs. Jones comes in, you know a little bit, what do you ask them? What do you do? Um, they tell you that they want to see a one-bedroom apartment, maybe a two-bedroom. They like to know pricing. And, you know, and you notice that Mrs. Jones is a little bit nervous and the daughter is also a little bit nervous looking at mom. And uh, you see that you're trying to look for buying signals. I'm back at the office expecting for you to come back and tell me, are they going to sign? What happened in the tour? I'm going to ask you what happened. And I'll say they love the curtains. And uh, I said I gave them a floor plan. And I think that uh, I think things are looking good because they didn't say no. So they left. And then as they as they're leaving, you learned a little bit about Mrs. Jones as you were showing them around, I hope, like what she did for a living. How many other kids does she have? Well, a lot of these questions are asked earlier than the tour, right? Hopefully, but maybe they were just a walk-in. Maybe they called in and they just wanted to schedule a tour and they were in a rush and you didn't have a chance to really connect, to have a conversation. So they're just called, they're coming in. You're just getting to know them. This is where the planning comes in, because I don't know what to ask them. I don't know who they are. I haven't. It's a cold uh, tour. During the tour, you got to know them a little bit. You're, you're picking up on some comments they're making. You're picking up on whether or not this like, oh, this is great. You know, when is this apartment going to be ready, which is very rare. Maybe it's beginner's luck for you, but that's a bluebird. In most cases... You know, they're going to comment on things they like. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, I really love your pool. Or they're going to comment some, some positives about what you're showing them. So, you know, hopefully you'll know a little something. But now it's, it's the next day and you need to follow up. They left. They said, thank you very much. We'll call you. Which is typically what happens. You've been really nice. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll give you a call. You know, we're looking around. Uh, but most of the time, the first time, most of the time, people don't disclose what's really going on. So you have a sense of why this person is moving. You know, the daughter shared that, you know, mom's feeling lonely. She's been widowed for a while. And, you know, she doesn't really do much anymore. And she used to be very social. And that's all you have to go on. And it's the next day. And I'm going to say, okay, so we need to follow up with Mrs. Jones on the tour. So most people, what most people will do is say, okay, I'm going to wait a couple of days and I'm going to call them and see what they thought of the tour. And that's it. That's, that's, that's basically, you know, what, what most of us do in the industry after a tour. We'll check in and we'll get maybe reminders to check in with them 
and see what they thought. I imagine the response is, uh, we love the tour, but we're still thinking. And yes, for the most part, that's what happened. Uh, so I still have, do I still have a hot lead? <laughs> do, you got nothing has, yet. You got nothing. I, I'm, I'm almost hoping that they become a cold lead and they say, do we hated the tour and we're done looking so I can cross them off and go on to the next person. I love your pragmatism. Yeah, I wish it worked that way. Yes. So now you have a continuation. You haven't gotten an advance. You did your best at showing the community in its best light. And you have um, no idea what happens, what's going on in their mind. Was there something they didn't like? Was the apartment too small? They may actually give you some objections. Well, this is kind of small. My mom has a lot of stuff or whatever it is. You may hear some objections. You may hear some hot buttons or triggers, you know, about her loneliness, et cetera. But it's the next day and now I'm leading sales and we're sitting around a table doing a case study for Mrs. Jones. And I'm going to say to you, so Francisco, who is Mrs. Jones? What do you know about her? And most people will say, well, she came for a tour with her daughter. You know, she was feeling lonely. She, um, you know, the daughter said that, you know, they really liked the one bedroom. Uh, she seemed enthusiastic. Mom didn't say very much, but they did complain that maybe the storage wasn't very good. And then they left and and I'm going to say, stop, Francisco, stop, because you're painting yourself into a corner here. So we're talking about storage. That was their objection. Among a few others, the pricing may seem a little steep. So you, you're, you're hearing some resistance or objections. And if you're focused on convincing and solving objections, which is what most of us think selling is, you will immediately figure out how to solve the storage problem. But they usually have objections on, on problems you can't solve. So it could very well be the storage, but if Mrs. Jones had really been delighted with everything she saw and ready to buy, and wow, this is really where I want to spend the rest of my life, hey, listen, the storage is a little bit inadequate. Can we figure out where mom could put her stuff? Great. Then it's, it's a negotiation. After someone says yes to buying, the buying, the saying yes to the community is a much more um, emotional decision of this feels right for me. This is my place. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to let go of my house where I've been for 50 years and raised my family. And I got to figure out if these people can give me more storage. That feels very different than when someone's kind of closed in, kind of tight lipped, they make a comment about the storage, especially mom. And there's no other real signals of readiness to buy other than the fact that they are taking the tour. So there is a problem. You just don't know what the problem is. You know, you heard something about loneliness. You heard that she's a widow. You heard that she was a school teacher, whatever it was. But you don't understand yet what is it 
that's holding this person back from making a decision to move because she's obviously not ready. And not only that, but she may have told you that I'm not quite ready to do this. So they're usually, it's like, we'll call you, you know, we're thinking for the future or we're thinking, and maybe they'll give you a time frame. So the way we look at it is two ways. You could look at it as like, okay, I can try to solve objections and I'm going to keep calling to see if now they're ready. And I'm going to only call once or twice because after I get rejected twice to say, hey, we're not ready to make a decision. Maybe we'll check back with you after the holidays. What happens is you're, you're sitting there completely in a corner with absolutely no strategy other than maybe sending them some of those beautiful marketing emails that, that your community is sending about all the events and the promotions, maybe the discount. Maybe before they leave, you just panic a little bit and say, well, this apartment, you know, if you buy now in the next three months, we have a special. Because, you know, you need your, you, you need your five movements this month. That's where you're being compensated on, or at least bonused on. So the idea is, okay, so Mrs. Jones came in, all that happened. And now I'm going to sit with you and say, who is Mrs. Jones? Let's do a case study. And the first thing we look at is try to not paint ourselves into the corner. And what we don't do is review what happened during the tour first. Because that is, gives us no idea of who, what our strategy should be for a, an effective follow-up. It's like looking at the last entry of your checkbook or your last expense and try to figure out what your financial situation is based on that. I just spent $126 at Walgreens. That doesn't tell me how much money I have in the bank, what my financial strategy is, you know, how much do I spend, et cetera, et cetera. So looking at the last thing that happened with a prospect gives you no idea of the whole context of the situation of the prospect, the nature of their ambivalence and the fact that they're not ready yet. And that process requires some effort. The biggest effort in planning is to drop your assumptions and to start thinking with curiosity and humility to figure out what is it that you don't know. If you want to help somebody change their mind or make up their mind about something that would be beneficial to them, you have to understand the nature of the problem and not the problem they're having at home and the reason that's motivating them to wanting to move, because if they showed up, you know that they have a reason and a motivation. What's important is what's holding them up, what's keeping them from buying, what's keeping them from moving. And how do you know what's keeping Mrs. Jones from moving to your community or somebody else anytime soon? Why is she not ready? What is she not ready for? These are some of the questions you can ask during a planning session. I just want to bring it back a little bit. I, I too want to look at this from a pragmatic point of view, which you mentioned You are uh, is, is how I'm looking at it. Uh, for the planning sessions, you said they could be 10 to 15 minutes, maybe longer. Who's mm -hmm. in the room? Do we do this every day? Should we do it in the morning? 
What, what have you seen in your experience that worked for sales teams? Yeah, sure. So usually the executive director ideally is involved and the rest of the sales team. So however many people are in your sales team and are working today, and it's a daily thing, daily, I mean daily, and first thing in the morning. It's unusual that you'll have a 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning tour. Tours usually happen, you know, 11, 12, you know, afternoon, et cetera. So that, that sort of quiet time is planning time. So that's what you should expect every day. If you're executive director, I mean, you can't do it on your own by yourself. How do you challenge your assumptions in your own head? You need the back and forth so that you can challenge each other to understand what is it that you don't know or what could be going on and get really creative and curious about Mrs. Jones. And usually the reason that they are short is because we don't have a lot of information. We don't have a lot to go on. So the more you learn about the person, the issue, the readiness of the person, then you figure out, okay, I think Mrs. Jones is in the planning stage. She's certainly saying that she's going to move someday, but not yet. So she's in planning because she's aware issue. So why not move now? Right. And what's that nature of that ambivalence? What is she actually waiting for? And that usually is very emotional in nature. It can be, there could be some real obstacles as well, but that's what we talk about. So if we keep talking about Mrs. Jones and I ask you, you don't start by telling me about what they saw at the tour and what you show them. Because most people think planning is basically regurgitating what happened and then for the sales counselor to, you know, tell the executive director and the other, you know, I did everything I could. I did the best tour I could. And they left and they said, we'll call you. So the humility approaching this problem is very important. The reason we plan is to be able to see what we don't understand, seek to understand it, and then come up with a way that we can advance that person that is actually creative, that has considered all these areas that we are not very clear about or that we don't know. So usually what happens with case studies is that we'll have more questions than answers at the end of it. It's not like you'll have a lot of answers. But you'll have a lot of questions that will open up your mind to think of strategies that are maybe more helpful than just giving them a call to ask them what they thought of the tour. It sounds like having other people to basically describe your prospect to and explain what the next steps are going to be. It might make total sense in your head, but once you say it out loud, you realize that you don't know half of what you thought you did. Basically, your follow-up might be something that you thought was a great idea, but once you've said it out loud, you have a change of heart or you've come up with another idea because you're actually vocalizing it rather than just thinking about it. Exactly. I'm nodding widely here, although no one can see it. So it, it sort of opens up your mind to more possibilities. It also is really helpful to be able to relate you know, what, what you know about the person, because you'll remember more things as you're relating the story. When we tell a story to someone, 
we tend to um, come up with different insights about that story as we hearing ourselves tell it. You know, we're having a conversation in our head as we're telling a story about the meaning of everything. So we, st we make meaning at telling the story. And I don't mean to go deep into the philosophical aspects and psychological aspects of storytelling, but yes, you're telling the story of Mrs. Jones to your team. And if you just only tell them about what you did and how and the objections and how it didn't really work, then you're just, there's just no nowhere to go, but wait until Mrs. Jones gets ready on her own. And, you know, follow up um, with, like I said, a couple of phone calls and then send them emails until Mrs. Jones, something happens, mysterious, unbeknownst to us, and she comes back or she doesn't. So if we're assuming that this person is not in the action state, which is 90% of the people that come to us, then the planning session will help you. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions like, tell me what is important to Mrs. Jones in her life? What was the happiest time of her life? How does she see herself or how did she see herself when she was truly happy living out her values? And you're going to look at me with a blank stare maybe because you're new and you didn't get to that because it's uncomfortable to get to that level of connection with someone when you're busy trying to sell the community. So you didn't do any of that. So part of part of the planning process will be, okay, so let's go through these areas of inquiry that we need to understand fully, not at once in the course of us working with her so that we can best help her make her own decision sooner rather than later. How do we speed up her decision-making process? by being able to explore or help her explore and address the barriers to moving. So for example, yes, I'm gonna ask you, say, what do you know about what she did in her life? Cause she's 87 after all, and she's had a long life. And we usually know very little about that. So she had a husband and children and she taught and you know, what did she love about teaching, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to ask you about, do we know anything about her, what her values are? What does she want her legacy to be? What would the daughter say about what kind of a mother she was or person? How would the daughter describe her to her friends? Again, these are all really cool questions and really fun and very connecting questions, but kind of tough to do them, you know, on, on a first encounter. If you think that your job is to show the community, which very much is your job to show the community, but in the context of how does Mrs. Jones want to live? Not like over here we do bingo and over here we have our great dining and you're clueless of whether or not she even likes bingo. So the case study, we're back there and now I'm asking you all these questions and we don't know the answer. So we're writing all these things down. Okay, so next time we have a chance to connect with her, we're going to explore a little bit about what was the best time in her life and, and how does she imagine her life being? What kinds of things bring her joy and meaning? Being with her grandchildren, I don't know, whatever that is. 
and we'll make a hypothesis or maybe we'll just plainly not know. And then I'm going to keep going and I'm going to ask you about what is actually motivating her from even considering leaving her home of 50 years. And you're going to say to me, the daughter thinks she's lonely. Well, there's millions of people that are lonely and they're not thinking about moving to senior housing. So we're, we're trained to think about hot buttons. We're trained to think about, you know, okay, so here's some of the hot buttons I can press. And if she says she's lonely, I'm going to show them all about the activities. But really, I'm going to miss the mark because there are so many flavors of loneliness. We don't know what it is that it makes Mrs. Jones feel connected to others. Is it playing bingo? I don't know. So that's what we explore in the case study, right? When we get to the motivators. But what exactly is it about loneliness that is a problem for Mrs. Jones? What kinds of interactions or connections make her as an individual feel connected? And it will be different from the generic stuff that we show everybody, you know, about the activities, et cetera. So now I'm going to move to objections. I'm going to say, so what are the kinds of things, what, what, what are the kinds of objections or fears? I like to call objections fears uh, or put-offs or ways that rabbit holes. In many cases, not always, but in many cases, the objection is really about leave me alone. I'm going to give you an objection that you can't solve. Like this is really expensive. And then you're going to, you're going to not know what to do with that. And maybe you'll set them as a cold lead or you do, um, you know, I don't think they can afford it because in your brain, you're busy and you have to go, go on and, you know, keep following up with a bunch of people. Or you say, okay, I don't know all the objections. What other objections, what other fears could she be having or any person? So then finally, we're going to review motivations. How does that apply to her? What is it about these problems that she's having that are motivating her to look? That how can those be solved in a way that speak to her identity? Maybe I'm using too big of words, but this is the fun part of what we do. You know, when I tell you, Francisco, that I'm lonely, you may tell me to do things to solve that, that have to do with how you would solve your loneliness, if that was your problem. Well, maybe you should, you know, go out with some people, maybe you should. But for me, it may be that I don't want to be social. I want to be connected differently. I want to interact with I don't, I don't like eating alone, but for the most part, I would like to be alone. Or every time that I eat alone, it reminds me of how much I miss, you know, my husband that passed away and we used to love cooking together. That's what's making me feel lonely. Not that I'm not playing enough bingo or, you know, joining the coffee clutch. We go through that quickly. The better, the more we do it, the more agile we get at getting through it. This is not like you have to know everything. Certainly you don't have to know. You just have to be curious about these areas of a person. You know, people do things, people have a typical day, people have roles in their lives. You know, think about the person holistically before you get trapped into what you did and what didn't work. 
Now you have a bunch of questions, a, much, a bunch of I don't know. Now we've determined that she may be in the planning stage. And now you tell me about the tour. Now it's time to tell me about the tour. Now together we're going to come up with several things that we could be doing different than just giving them a call and seeing what they thought about the tour. So we know that she was a teacher. We know that she placed great value in teaching. That's all kind of all we know. We know the daughter is from San Francisco and she's here for a month, you know, trying to help mom with some estate issues. The more, the more we know, the, the more that we can have creative ways that we can follow up. Now it's a question of building trust. So we think strategically, what do we need to do? The call is a tactic. So if your strategy is to try to find ways in which she can say yes to the apartment, tactically, you only have giving them a call to figure out if she liked the apartment and is she ready yet? And the answer is going to be no, not yet. So the strategy is usually the first part of a good strategy for your prospects is going to be, I want to connect with them. I want to build trust. I want to become someone that they can count on, disclose and tell me all that they're considering, good and bad, pro and con, without the fear of being sold by me. That there's a safety in having conversations with you and that the conversations they have with you are helpful, help them see different ways, and more importantly, allow them to talk and elaborate on their own motivation, their own why, their own reasons for making the decision or delaying the decision. So you really, for the first case study you do with someone, your strategy is to build trust and connection so that you can find out more about what conversations they're having in their own head about this move and allowing them to have those conversations out loud. Because that's what we were talking about. When you are talking about what happened with Mrs. Jones, it helps you, you clarify what happened and what you should do. It helps all of us as human beings when we're hearing ourselves talk, um, find out and figure out what does this mean and what should I do? So it's the same human principle, psychological principle. Is you gaining enough trust with them to allow them to have those conversations, giving them tools, giving them guidance, and trying to speed up that decision by giving them the control, the agency, and the opportunity to figure that out. Our strategy with Mrs. Jones, okay, great. We're gonna build trust. We're going to state our intentions. You're gonna tell them, Francisco, that your intention there, that you re recognize that they're not ready to buy. This is a process that takes time and that she's in charge. Mrs. Jones, you're in charge. This is your life. This is a big decision. I am here for you every step of the way in this process of you deciding whether you decide to stay home, whether you decide to move somewhere else. I am, the, I am here as a professional helping you understand if this is the right time for you. So our strategy is building trust. So how do we do that? What tactics do we need in our 
sales vocabulary that we can do that shows that person that you are trustworthy, that you're not a salesperson. So we may decide, okay, we need to figure out a way to state our intentions because you haven't yet and you want to make clear to her that you're not going to hound her to see uh, when she's ready, but you're not going to ignore her because she's not ready to buy. So your team's going to come up with, okay, maybe we should send a nice handwritten letter or note stating your intentions in writing. Maybe we'll do some research about something to do with teaching in our area or volunteer opportunities. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll come up, you'll come up with your team with four or five different ideas for a follow-up. And then you get very clear as to what kind of advance are we looking for so we don't keep getting continuations. I don't know what level she taught at. So that could be a question to ask mm. and an opportunity to, to build trust. Uh, I just want to know who she taught, not whether she wants more information or when she'll move in. Okay, now you're getting the hang of it. That's as simple as that. Now, because you did a case study, you did a planning session, the level of curiosity and interest in the person has gone from very little, a few assumptions to really high. Because now you're curious. When we talk about thinking like a scientist in order to sell, what we mean is, it's that time that we spend understanding the problem before we try to go solve it based on our own assumptions. There's nothing to solve. She has to solve it herself. No one will convince you, I don't care how good you are, you know, to, to leave your home of 50 years and move into Shady Pines, as wonderful as Shady Pines is. It's not part of the vocabulary of what happens in our industry. I mean, you can convince someone to buy something that's kind of low cost, that doesn't have a huge consequence, and then your powers of persuasion are, are probably what will do it, but not this, not this. I have a dear friend that said that prospects can feel when you've done a case study on them. And of course, they don't know you did that. But because you're so curious and inquisitive and so interested in every aspect of their lives, not what's going to cause them to move in or when are they going to move in, to your point, but about them. Because remember also, people will make this decision to move, to move sooner and to move to your community if you really demonstrated that you care about them. Um, because mostly they're looking for a place that they can find belonging and home and being themselves. The biggest objection is, I don't want to lose my independence. When that independence, independence is really already, have, it's already lost. People become prisoners in their own homes. So they have a sense of identity that they call independence. Independence mean, means not that I can get in the car and go to Walgreens whenever I want. Independence starts to mean I can be myself, even if I have limited ability. But at some point, that becomes untenable to maintain in my own home. But if we don't understand what makes 
people's identity, that person, Mrs. Jones' identity, who is she? What makes her feel at home? And what makes us feel at home, and for the most part, is being in a place where we can be ourselves and not being told what to do and when to eat and treated like old people and treated like in a generic way. And that's what most people are afraid of about our industry, that I'm going to go to one of those places, they're going to tell me what to do, and I'm going to stop being me. No, no worse than that. I have to, I'm going to become someone that everybody's going to treat me as an old person, because that's what those people do there. They have a bunch of old people and they treat them all like old people. That's the fear. The case study helps us understand how to become really curious about the person. The person feels that. So now we have, you're going to send them a note, you're going to give them a call, but what you say in that call, that's why it's so important. Of course, it's great to follow up right after a tour with a phone call, but why you're making that phone call is what matters. You are making the phone call to build trust. You're not making, that's your strategy. You're not using the tactic to figure out whether or not this is going to be a hot lead for you and you should continue to pursue it. So what are you going to say in the call now? You're going to call, you can also send a note. We realize we don't have enough to do a creative follow-up that's meaningful enough because you don't even know what grade she taught. So now in your phone call, you're going to, it was really lovely to meet you. And I realized that I didn't ask you. I was really curious. I love to start questions to my prospects too. I was, I'm really curious. I just forgot to ask you. So now we have a, we have an action plan. Our strategy is to build trust and to dive into, as we build trust, to get deeper into how does she help herself get out of ambivalence? by talking about the benefits of moving now versus waiting or the benefits of waiting versus moving now. And so we have all kinds of different uh, ways in which we can engage in those conversations. And that's a learning and a practice. So now you're going to have a much better strategy. Now you're going to get a, an advance from your next follow-up. And you're going to learn more that then it's going to cause you to come back and do another case study, most likely. And this time it's going to be a little shorter about what to do after that. Well, I've done the planning session. I'm curious about Mrs. Jones. I have an idea of what to do next. Is there anything else that you think might be useful? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, do it every day. Every day you're in the office. It's a sacred time. Um, don't let anything disrupt that because it's foundational to your actions for the rest of the day. Your, what you do in terms of phone calls, creative follow-up, et cetera, for the rest of the day will be greatly impacted by your morning planning sessions. Do it with one, two, three prospects at the most. You're not going to have a lot more time to do more than three at the most. And then go and get on with your day. And even if you don't do a full planning session, it's, it's a way of thinking about the person in, and attempting to understand and helping them, you know, get through their own barriers. Don't give up until you have a good action plan that you can execute and then do it. And then hopefully you'll get an advance and that's the momentum you're building. Now that person's on your top 10 
And then you'll have to come back to the drawing board and say, okay, so now what's next? It's been really fun to riff about planning. Um, please do more of it. It's so foundational and so fun to do. This is where all of the joy of selling comes from, from my perspective. Anyway, if you are interested in knowing more about planning, you can always visit sherpacrm.com. Shoot me a question, ask Alex at sherpacrm.com. I am looking forward to our next episode. In the meantime, stay heroic. <laughs>